6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Jude, verses 9 and 10. So that's one theory. You can build a whole case on that. But there's another idea that I'd like to share with you, and that why is his body relevant? And that is because I think, I personally believe there's a future role for it. And that role for it, you can say, gee, well, it's a resurrection body. Yes, I guess so, but I don't pretend and understand the physics of what's involved, and God seems to have felt it important enough that he took, took care of it. I'd like to talk about two ministries in the Old Testament that were interrupted, that were incomplete. First of all, uh, when we, if we go to John chapter 1, we have the story of John the Baptist. And we discover that John the Baptist had quite an active ministry, so much so that the temple heavies sent out a delegation out to the desert to find out what was going on. And in John chapter 1, in verse 19, says this, the witness of John, the Jews, the Jews, that means the leadership of the Jews, sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Now you'll discover there's three people they thought he might be, and he was none of these three. He says, I am not the Christ. John the Baptist did not make any pretense of being a Messiah. He made that clear right up front. Verse 21. They ask him then, what then? Art thou Elijah? What a strange question. Not really, because the Old Testament, the last two verses of the Old Testament, we'll look at that in a minute, predict that Elijah is going to precede the second coming of Jesus Christ. He says, I am not. John the Baptist says, I am not Elijah. There's some confusion because Jesus makes a remark about the spirit of Elijah, so to speak. And it causes a lot of confusion. But John the Baptist right here, there's another place I'll show you, he is not Elijah. He came in the power of Elijah. He came with a similar kind of mission, but he's not Elijah. It says, it says, art thou that prophet? That's the third person. That's the prophet of Moses, spoken of Deuteronomy 18. The leadership at that time felt that this pretender out in the desert could be claiming to be one of three people, the Messiah, Moses, or Elijah. And he said, I'm none of those three. Well, wait a minute. That's kind of interesting. Where does he get the wheel? You mean these people are expecting? Yes. You might turn, if we will, to the last two verses of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4. It's only a six, it's the last chapter of the book of Malachi, it's only six verses long, the last two verses. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Oh, not before his first coming. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, but that's another thing. There's a very specific express promise that Elijah will come before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. If you observe Passover with the Orthodox home, you'll find that there's an empty chair left. For whom? Elijah. 
Should he show up? Interesting. Take it seriously. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Promise of Elijah. Now, there is a passage in Matthew eleven fourteen, where the Lord says, if you could accept it, he could have be, he was Elijah. But they didn't accept it. It's a contrary to fact reasoning. And in Matthew 17, which we'll look at later for another reason, uh, he, makes a, he makes it clear that he is not, John the Baptist is not Elijah. He came in the spirit of Elijah and in a, in a role sense, but not, not, not in the literal sense. John the Baptist was John the Baptist. Now, I'd like to turn, and uh, so we have Moses and Elijah being expected. That's kind of, that, that intrigues me. You might turn to Numbers chapter 20. I'd like to explore a little bit as to what Moses did to get himself in trouble. In, in Numbers chapter 20, we have an incident starting about verse 7 that merits our study. Today. That. Now, so you don't get confused. Back in Exodus 17, there was an incident where Moses was instructed by God to strike the rock and water came. Recognize there's two different in incidences. The first time the rock was, in, he was instructed to smite the rock. Okay? This is a different incident. Verse 7, the Lord said unto Moses, Take the rod and gather the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak. Underline the word speak. Speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth its water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. In each case, they needed water. In this case, in the previous case, he was instructed to smite the rock, and he did, and it water came. Who is the rock? Jesus Christ. Authority is 1 Corinthians 10. We looked at that before. Verse 9, So Joseph took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said to them, Now notice what Moses does. He's getting, you know, Moses is a neat guy. He did a lot of right things. But this is one place where he's got an ego trip. Now, it's good for us to look back and watch this. I don't want to speak casually of a guy who was in most incredible human beings in the Old Testament. But here's a case where he blew it. He says, Hear ye now, ye rebels. Moses was upset. Was the Lord upset? The Lord wasn't upset. Moses was. That's called being a false witness. If the Lord's upset and you don't present him as being upset, you're being a false witness. If the Lord's not upset and you present him as being upset, you're being a false witness. Here you now, you rebels. Now notice I'm not seeing here. He's, he and Aaron are standing here. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? Who's taking credit for this? Big mistake. Verse 11, Moses lifted up his hand and with his rod he smote the rock twice. Not once, but twice. The water came out of the abundantly, and the congregation drank, and there be so also. Now, if you're reading this far in the story, you don't probably pick up the fact that this is really 180 degrees out of step with what God intended Moses to do. God was upset with the people. Moses was. Notice what happens, verse 12. It's a very important verse. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron, and says, Because ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore... Ye shall not bring this congregation to the land which I have given them. Moses is going on the penalty box. A heavy penalty, too. He's over. He's through. 
Out of the game. Call time. Send in a substitute. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, he was, and he sanctified of them. And this is where Moses' ministry is over. Lest you think that that's Chuck Mistler's interpretation, turn to Deuteronomy 3. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 26. Moses here is telling what's going on. This is from his own lips. It starts in verse 23, But I besought the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness and thy right and thy mighty hand, for what God is there in heaven and earth who can do according to thy works, according to thy might. I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond the Jordan, that goodly mountain and Lebanon. He's speaking in verse 26. Notice what Moses is saying about this. But the Lord was angry with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, Let it suffice thee, speak no more unto me of this matter. Enough's enough, Moses. Get thee into the top of Pisgah, and lift up thine eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward, and behold it with thine eyes, for thou shalt not go over this Jordan. But charge Joshua, encourage him, and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. And... So we abode in the valley over against Beth Peor. So Moses, that's it. He is, he is not only, he dies and the Lord buries him, but you need to get the sense that, hey, it's, he blew it. Hmm? Okay, so much for this. Turn with me to 1 Kings. I'd like to examine another ministry that I read as being interrupted. 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. Now, we all love, we all love 1 Kings 18. That's Carmel. Elijah challenges the priests of Baal. We all know the story. Big, incredible success. Calls down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice and, and so on. With a handicap. What happens after that? He, sla he slaughters the 450 priests of Baal, and that doesn't impress Jezebel too much. Uh, she, she's after him. He gets panicked. So we get to verse chapter 19, and we'll pick it up oh, about verse 8 on. He's at Horeb, and the Lord is starting to minister to him. And the Lord, uh, this is a famous place where it's the still small voice, remember? Pick it up by verse 13. And it was so that Elijah heard it, and he wrapped up his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice in him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Elijah has his view that he's the only one left. There ain't anybody else pulling the oar, Lord. The Lord said to them, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus when thou comest anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of uh, Shaphath, the, uh, and other, other names I can't pronounce, uh, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy stead. Elijah, you're over. Neat guy, did a lot of neat things. Eight major miracles, but he's on this trip. I'm the only guy. He says, 
You're going to, we're, going to put, we're going to anoint Elisha in your place. Verse 17, it shall come to pass that he that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet have I left me 7,000 Israel, all the knees which have not bowed to Baal, even uh, every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, Elijah, you're not alone. I got 7,000 back there. So we're replacing you, Elijah. You don't normally get this tone here, but I'm going to suggest to you that there's some sense, even the Lord is ministering to Elijah at Horeb. It's my personal view that he's being, it's also a penalty box. Now I want you to notice something else. Turn to 2 Kings 2. We move on a few chapters here. Uh, and we get to uh, 2 Kings chapter 2. And by now Elisha is ready for the job. Elisha wants to take on Elijah's role. Verse cha chapter 2, verse 1 came to pass when the Lord would take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, where this is coming. In other words, Elijah's going to be caught up into heaven, right? He's not going to die. He's going to have a very special deal here. He went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now, what, what, what happens here is Elijah tries to shake this kid. Can't do it. Elijah, he, he went with Elijah from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Well, from Gilgal to Bethel, right? But anyway, the same thing happens to Jericho, and the same thing happens to the Jordan. In other words, Elijah keeps telling him, You stay here, I've got to go. Elijah says, No. Elisha says, Can't shake me, I'm staying with you. And so uh, they get to verse 4, and Elijah says to Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth and the soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they, that is both of them, went to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and uh, said to him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take him away, the master? From... In other words, they know, they know something's about up, see? He answered, Yes, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said to him, Tarry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to the Jordan. To make a long story short, they crossed the Jordan. Now, it's important to get a picture of the geography here. Because Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, that's all familiar to you from the Joshua study, but it's all obviously west of the Jordan. But they wind around, get to the Jordan, and here, they stand by the Jordan, verse 7 and verse 8, Elijah took his mantle, wrapped it together, smote the waters, and they were divided to the one side and the other, and so they, two of them went over on dry ground. Now, if you had a map here and you saw them cross the Jordan from that area, you're going in the Jordan Valley, and just to the East, slightly south, is Mount Pisgah. Okay? And this, of course, is where, verse 9, came to pass that when they were gone over, Elijah said unto Elijah, Ask what I shall do for thee before I am taken away from thee. And Elijah says, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Now that guy is ambitious. Here's Elijah, the guy that called the fire down at Carmel and made it not rain for three and a half years and so on. Elijah says, I want twice as much. You know? And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be, do, it shall be so unto thee. If not, it shall not be so. King passes, as they went on, they talked, and behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and separated them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, and the chariot of Israel and his horsemen. And, and, uh, and so he gets the mantle and so forth. By the way, if you do a study of, of Elijah, you'll discover there's eight major miracles that Elijah pulls off. If you do a study of Elisha, they're 16. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? 
why are we surprised, right? It's the precision that fascinates me. You know, not 17 or 21, twice as many as Elijah. Okay, so he got his double portion. Now, why am I making a big thing of this? Because my basic hobby, as you all know, and I think all of our hobbies here, is the book of Revelation. So let's turn to Revelation 11. With this background, let's talk about another issue. Revelation chapter 11 is an interesting, ver interesting chapter. First two verses have to do with the Temple Mount. And I can't get into that without talking about Asher Kaufman's hypothesis, and that'll take us all evening. So I'm going to skip right away to verse 3. And it uh, says, I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed with sackcloth. And if any, in verse 5, if any man hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man shall, will hurt them, he will must this matter be killed. They shall have the power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power of the waters turn into blood and smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when the two shall have finished their testimony, see their testimony isn't finished yet. My premise is, just my premise is, that Moses' testimony isn't finished yet. Elijah's testimony isn't finished yet. They're both interrupted. They're finishing here. Look what happens. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war with them and shall overcome them and kill them. The word overcomer here is prevail. Jesus told Peter that the church, the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. Are these two members of the church? No, they're Jewish. They are Old Testament saints raised here. When Joshua fought Jericho, what did he do before he started? Sent two witnesses in. The whole model of the book of Joshua is a model of the book of Revelation. And just as, he, just as Joshua sent two witnesses in to get Rahab out, we have um, these two here. And their dead bodies shall lie on the street of that great city, spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord is crucified. And um, they're there for three and a half days. Kind of interesting. And verse 10 is the only place there's rejoicing on the earth in the book of Revelation. They that dwell upon the earth, that very special category, shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented the, that dwell upon the earth. These two prophets were not very well, not very popular. They did not have a popular ministry. But I love what happens in verse 11. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and a great fear fell upon them who saw them. Boy, I can imagine that was an event. I imagine it was primetime TV. I can imagine the world getting coverage on that one. And that's got to be interesting. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up here. And they ascended up into heaven in the cloud, and their enemies beheld them. This isn't some secret thing. It's out. Big deal. The Lord knows how to do a PR stunt when he wants to. That's great. As a great earthquake, and the 10th part of the city fell, and on it goes. Now, it's interesting. Who are, Everybody talks about who are these two witnesses, and everybody has their theories. Well, if you examine verses 5 and 6, you discover that they have four gifts, specific powers. They can call down fire from heaven. They can shut the heaven so that it does not rain. They can turn water into blood and call all manner of plagues down. Well, it's kind of interesting. If you study about calling fire down from heaven, there's one guy in the Old Testament who did it three times. A guy by the name of Elijah. Did it at Mount Carmel quite impressively. They did it twice again. Well, we didn't we'll take the time now because the time will be getting short, but 2 Kings chapter 1. Twice they send 50 guys there to come and eat. Brings down fire, consumes 50 guys. They send another 50. Finally, he agrees to come, but he causes him a little attrition before that. 
The second thing that Elijah is famous for is that he shut the heavens so it would not rain. Now it says here that he's going to do it again, that they have the power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. How long is their prophecy? Back in verse 1, 1,203 score days. That's three and a half years. How long was it that Elijah shut the heavens in the days of Ahab? Three and a half years. How do we know? Because James tells us, the Lord tells us in Luke 4, twice in the New Testament, by two witnesses, it's confirmed. It's not only that he did it, but he did it for a very, what I think is a very interesting period of time. That's James 5.17 and Luke uh, 4.25, for those of you who have been watching, sat down. The Ahab event was in uh, 1 Kings 17. So that's two of the four. Water into blood. Who turned water into blood? Everybody knows that. Charlton Heston did it there in front of you. Right? Okay. Exodus 7.19, for you want a more, if you want a non-demill reference for that. All manner of plagues, Exodus 8 through 12. You all have that, okay? Now, some people say, they think the two witnesses are Elijah, because he didn't die, and Enoch, because he didn't die. And uh, that's fine, except I got a problem. And, oh, they based, the, they based the logic on Hebrews 9.27, which says it is appointed to man, but once to die, and after this, the judgment. And the only two people that didn't die were Enoch and Elijah. Therefore, they're the two witnesses. Have a problem with that. I think the principle on Hebrews 9.27 is a principle. To, it's a denial of reincarnation. Any of you have reincarnation yearnings, read Hebrews 9.27. It's point of man but once to die, and after this, the judgment. Are there exceptions? Yes, Lazarus. How many times did Lazarus die? Twice. Twice. He rose, remember, the Lord raised him once. And after that, the Pharisees had to make sure that he was put to death. That comes as a plot, and that, that thought, and then you dig that out of the Gospels. Widow of Dane's son. How many times did he die? Twice, Peter, you know, raised once and down, um, the, um, so forth. There's another observation, but incidentally, so that's why I think Enoch, um, we're going to talk about Enoch in another session or so, but there's another thing about Enoch that doesn't qualify him for this ministry. He wasn't Jewish. Interesting, huh? So you can run with that one if you like. Now, what's my final proof that these are the two witnesses? They had a staff meeting. Matthew 17, they met to talk about it all. Now, by the way, I, 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 I'm sort of having fun up here. I don't want to sell this too hard. Good scholars have all kinds of opinions. Scholars better than I have different views, so, so it doesn't, I'm not really trying to sell it this hard. I'm just having a little fun. But I, I do have the view, but it's just a view, that it is uh, Moses and Elijah. It'll probably turn out to be two other guys. I'm all wrong. So, so uh, you know, uh, Acts 17.11 still pertains, you know. Uh, Luke told you not to believe anything Chuck Mister tells you. But check the scripture yourself. And what's fun about this isn't that I'm right or wrong. Your search will be in the scripture. So if you're interested in this thing, you find it interesting, dig into the scripture. And uh, uh, that's, that's really what I, uh, I... I would not have you accept my view. I would have you search the scriptures daily to prove whether these things would be so. Because you get a blessing whether or not I'm right or wrong. Lord, you'll see to it. Okay, and Matthew 17 actually starts a verse early. There's a, the chapter breaks in fortune. In Matthew 16, 20, it says, Verily I say unto you, there shall some standing here shall not, shall, that shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So this is, they're going to see a prophetic insight here. And after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. These are always the inside three, Peter, James, and John. Up into a high mountain. 
And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine like the sun. His raiment was as white as light. So something happens to him that is extremely dramatic that leaves them all very impressed, so impressed that Peter in his epistles makes reference to this. If you want to find out what happened here, you can read Peter's letters. He makes reference to this. When behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with them. How do they know they're Moses and Elijah? I have no idea. There's no comment how they recognize him. Would Peter and James and John have seen Known Elijah walking down the street? I don't think so. But somehow, they knew. That's not an issue. They all recognized Moses and Elijah somehow. Then answered Peter and said, and Peter, you know, he's the foot and mouth disease guy. If you, you know, if you, if you, if you don't understand it, speak, you know. Uh, the, the, and Peter says, the Lord is good. He's one of these, you know, ready, fire, aim guys. Um, then Peter said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us Make three booths or tabernacles, one for thee, one for most, one for Elijah. Now that's clumsy for lots of reasons, not the least of which it implies they're equals. And that's where he's really got a faux pas here. He why spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud. What's the cloud? The Shekinah glory, right? Said, This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. So he made, you know, he got uh, right, hold on a little bit. What's interesting about this is, if we turn to Luke 9.31, and maybe we should do that. Keep your place here because we'll come back to this. But Luke 9.31 is a reference to this. Uh, the Matthew reference is uh, full, but it, it misses a few subtle things. In Luke 9.31, 9.30 said, Behold, the two talked with him. Were, is this, it's, it's the parallel account in Luke of the transfiguration. Uh, the two men talked to him, Moses and Elijah, right? Who appeared in glory and what? Spoke of his decease or departure, it's not really deceased like dying, his departure, Exodus, is the, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. So we don't know whether it's crucifixion or his ascension, but the point is it's certainly his, it's a prophetic discussion. It's a prophetic discussion between Moses and Elijah and the Lord. They're speaking of what's about to happen shortly thereafter. So this little staff meeting is prophetic. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jude. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.